Welcome to Bethesda Broadcast, the podcast of Bethesda Church in Huron, South Dakota. Today's message is called, Who Are You Bringing to Jesus? from Mark chapter 2. In preparation for our special Bring a Friend to Church Sunday next week, Pastor Roy is going to share with us five discoveries in bringing people to Jesus. We encourage you to open up your Bibles to Mark 2 and follow along. Um, Today is uh, preparation for Bring a Friend to Church Sunday uh, for next Sunday. And I've titled the message, Who Are You Bringing to Jesus? Um, And if you open your Bibles to Mark chapter 2, we're going to look at this uh, story of the paralytic man that was brought to Jesus. And through this passage, we're going to notice five discoveries in bringing people to Jesus. This story is also recorded in the Gospel of Luke in chapter 5. But we're going to focus on the one in in Mark. And so let's just read down through this account together. Mark chapter 2. You can follow along as I, I read. A few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. So many gathered that there was no room left, not even outside the door, and he preached the word to them. Some came, bringing to him a paralytic carried by four of them. Since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus, and after digging through it, lowered the mat the paralyzed man was laying on. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, "'Son, your sins are forgiven.'" Now some teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Immediately, Jesus knew in his spirit that this was what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, why are you thinking these things? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take your mat, and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, He said to the paralytic, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. He got up, took his mat, and walked out in full view of them all. This amazed everyone, and they praised God, saying, we have never seen anything like this. So five discoveries in bringing people to Jesus. The first one is this. The first discovery is we need to pay particular attention to the people that God has placed around us. It is vital that we, God has placed us in particular places of influence and opportunity to meet people, and here Jesus is. Notice it says at the very beginning, a few days later, when Jesus entered, again entered Capernaum. I want to show you here on a map uh, where Capernaum is, and I'm trying to get the little, uh, maybe the little, I can't get it to work, maybe. Well, I don't know what's going on here. All right, there's Capernaum. It is northwest of the Sea of Galilee, a um, couple miles west of the Jordan River. The Jordan River runs just north of the Sea of Galilee there. Um, it's a town. It's a farming and a fishing community, about 1,500 people um, that are in this town. Jesus performed most of his miracles in Capernaum. 
And that's important for us to understand because I'm going to give you a little background to help us understand something. Here are some miracles that Jesus performed in Capernaum. He healed Jairus' daughter. He fed 5,000 people. He caught a miraculous amount of fish. He healed a demon-possessed man. He healed Peter's mother-in-law. He healed a paralytic, which we see here in this account. He healed the centurion's servant. He healed the woman who had a blood disorder. Most of his miracles were performed at Capernaum. Now, why do I take the time to share that with you? Because yet, in spite of all the miracles that Jesus performed in Capernaum, Jesus denounces three cities in the New Testament. Chorazim, Bethsaida, and Capernaum. Why does he denounce them? He denounces them because they do not believe. They do not put their faith in Jesus Christ. And they remain unrepentant and in their sin. And so Jesus denounces them for that reason. I'll show you some uh, pictures here. Uh, we had the chance when we were in Israel back in the spring uh, to visit Capernaum. You can even see a little different spelling uh, there. Uh, here is a late 4th century A.D. white synagogue, which was built upon the remains of the synagogue of Jesus. They believe this synagogue was built right on top of the synagogue in which Jesus would have been teaching in this passage and other passages. Many, many times in Capernaum, he opened uh, the scrolls and taught uh, the people. And here's a couple pictures of the remains of that 4th century synagogue in the city of Capernaum. And here would be a, a diagram of what they felt like it would have looked like uh, fully, uh, you know, put together, um, kind of a two-story deal. Uh, usually the ladies were upstairs and the men were downstairs. They have an open court area there as well. This is right uh, just maybe 30 meters or so from the synagogue, and they believe this would have been uh, potentially Peter's house. It's a little bit hard to see because they've built a building over top of it. And uh, they believe this would have been part of Peter's house. They have found little uh, writings on the wall and things to kind of uh, validate that uh, finding. This would have been also some of the houses around Capernaum, which is just right outside the synagogue. Uh, like I say, small town, 1,500 people. And if you look off in the distance, it's a little hard to see, but on the skyline, right before the skyline, you can see a little bit of blue that is the Sea of Galilee right there. That's how close it was uh, to the Sea of Galilee uh, to give you a picture of that. Now let's look at this in Matthew 11, 23 and 24. You, Capernaum, he says, will you be lifted up to the heavens? No, you will go down to Hades. For if the miracles that were performed in you had been performed, um, that's a little bit hard to read there, performed in you, have been performed in Sodom, it would have remained to this day. But I tell you that it will be more bearable for Sodom on the day of judgment than for you. What a denouncement because of their rejection of Christ. And then he goes on, why did, so why did Jesus go there? I mean, Jesus was in Nazareth, and so why did he bother to go to this town? Um, well, we'll look here in Matthew 4, beginning in verse 12. Jesus heard that John had been put in prison. He withdrew to Galilee. Leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum. This became the headquarters of his ministry, which was by the lake in the area of Zebulon and Naphtali to fulfill what was said through the prophet Isaiah. 
land of Zebulon and land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan uh, of Galilee, uh, to fulfill what was said through the prophet, beyond the Jordan, the people living in darkness have seen a great light on those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. Matthew uncovers for us why Jesus was motivated to go to Capernaum to fulfill prophecy. It was prophesied seven centuries earlier, over 700 years earlier, about Zebulon and Naphtali. You're like, but wait a minute, I didn't see those on the map. I saw Capernaum, but I didn't see Zebulon and Naphtali. Why is that? Well, let me show you another map. Now you see it. These are the 12 tribes of Israel. You'll remember that Jacob had 12 sons. His sons, plus a couple of his grandsons, made up the 12 tribes of Israel. Two of those tribes named were Zebulon and Naphtali. And look where they're located. You see the Sea of Chinnereth, it says. That's also the Sea of Galilee. It's named, it has about four different names. Uh, Tiberias, uh, Gesenaret, Chinnereth, and Galilee. So you see Naphtali right there and Zebulon right below it. Um, these two tribes. So it's fulfilling prophecy, these lost tribes of Israel. And if we go back to, uh, let me just read this for you real quick. In Isaiah chapter 9, it says, Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who are in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulon and the land of Naphtali. This is Capernaum. But in the future, he will honor Galilee of the Gentiles by the way of the sea along the Jordan. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light on those living in the land of the shadow of death. A light has dawned. Why did Jesus go there? Because when, when the, they were hauled off into captivity in 722 B.C. by the Assyrians, guess who the first ones hauled off were? These people. Naphtali and Zebulon. And so God is bringing the gospel back to Capernaum, back to their descendants to share the gospel with them. And so I think it's important that we do pay attention to the people that God has placed around us. Remember in Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, it says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways submit to him and he will make your paths straight. Now, here's the reason I read that. Trusting in the Lord and submitting to his leading, he will faithfully guide me to the people he wants me to be around. God is going to guide us to the people he wants us to be around, the people he wants us to impact, the people he wants us to share the gospel with. And when you think about Bring a Friend Sunday, who has God placed around you that you should be inviting, that you should be influencing, that you should be touching, that you are passionate about them hearing the gospel? This would have not been the place that you would expect Jesus to go, and yet that was the very place that he went. Let me ask another question. Why were these people attracted to Jesus? Let me just give you three reasons very quickly why I feel these people were attracted to Jesus. Because notice it says, a few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he come. So many gathered that there was no room left, not even outside the door. I mean, there was a massive crowd it's only a town of 1,500 people. So why were these people attracted to Jesus? Three reasons. Number one, because of the influence of his word. 
Notice it says here, he preached the word to them. His word caused them to be inquisitive and curious. Who is this man? What's he talking like this for? Where does he get this kind of authority? Where does he get that kind of power? Where is he getting that kind of knowledge and insight? We've never heard this kind of teaching before. He came with a new message. They didn't have radio and television and all the sporting events that we have. They were attracted to this guy. His message was incredible. They couldn't understand. This guy, they heard about his healing and speaking strange words and making bold statements. And when he spoke, it moved people. Why? Because it struck a chord in their heart. It struck a chord in their heart. It stirred their hearts. He spoke to their fears. He encouraged their faith. He talked about spiritual freedom. He rejected the legalistic adherence to the law. They performed spiritual acts and were more concerned about the externals and how they appeared to others rather than their hearts and how they appeared to God. And yet here's what it says in Luke 24 when, when they were walking on the road to Emmaus after Jesus was resurrected and Jesus begins to open to them the prophets and all the scriptures. Do you know what the two disciples, the people that were with Jesus said? Here's what they said. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? Their hearts were burning within them because of the word of God that he shared with them. You talk about influence. That's influence. The second reason I think they were attracted to Jesus was because of his involvement in people's lives. The influence of his word and the involvement in people's lives. He took a genuine interest in them. He was moved with compassion. And Matthew 9.36 says, When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And they noticed his compassion in reaching out to them and caring for them. The third reason I think they were attracted to Jesus is because of his inherent power to heal. His inherent power to heal. He delivered people who were spiritually oppressed. If we go back to Mark chapter 1, you'll see in verse 21, they went to Capernaum. When the Sabbath came, Jesus went in the synagogue, began to teach. The people were amazed at his teaching because he taught them as one who had authority, not as the teachers of the law. Because what did the teachers of the law do? They would get together, the rabbis would get together and say, well, I think it means this, I think it means this, I think this is the interpretation of the law, I think this is the interpretation of the law. And, and he, just, he just said what the law was. There was no interpretation. He knew what it was. And he spoke, and he spoke with such authority. They're like, how can he speak with such authority and power? And they were drawn to that incredible and then his power to heal. And then it goes on to say, just then, in verse 23, a man in their synagogue who was possessed by an evil spirit cried out, what do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of Israel. And notice what Jesus says, be quiet, said Jesus sternly. Come out of him. The evil spirit shook the man violently and came out of him with a shriek. The people were all amazed that they asked each other, what is this? A new teaching and with authority. He even gives orders to evil spirits and they obey him. They had never seen anything like that. And they were amazed at his inherent power to heal. And it says in Mark 1.39, he traveled throughout Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and driving out demons. 
So here's the idea with friend day. When we truly believe that God's word has influence in people's lives and that God wants to be involved in their life and that God has inherent power to heal whatever brokenness they have, we will be more passionate about bringing people to Jesus. True? Absolutely. If we believe the Word of God has influence in people's lives, if we believe that God wants to be involved in their life and He has inherent power to heal the brokenness of their life, He has inherent power to bring forgiveness for their sin, we will be passionate about bringing people to Jesus. So, pay particular attention to the people God has placed around you. The second discovery, show compassion for people who are hurting. You see, we are so quick to judge people because we look at the external and that's what we see. We have no idea what's going on inside of them, what hurts, what struggles, what difficulties. Maybe they just buried a loved one last week and we wonder why there's no smile on their face. Maybe their body is covered with tattoos and we look at them and say, I don't want you in my church. Well, what church do you want them in? I want them in my church. I don't care if they have 150 tattoos on them. I want them in my church. I want to show the love of Christ to them. We are so quick to judge the externals. Let me show you an example of that. How do I look this morning? How do I look? Okay? All right. Now how do I look? (laughs) Yeah, it is a little cooler. But isn't it true that we judge the external? We see someone and we see what they look like and we, we size them up and we determine who they are, what their problems are, and, and we, we, know, we know the answer. I'm guilty of that just as much as anybody else. I'll guarantee you I'm guilty of that. Man, I could just write guilt right across here. <laughs> guilty <laughs> to the nth degree. Because we all have that tendency to do that. And yet, show compassion for people who are hurting. Notice what it says here in our text. Verse 3, some men came bringing to him a paralytic carried by the four of them. You don't do something like that without compassion. You don't get involved in other people's mess and problems unless there's a heart of compassion and you want to help this person get to Jesus. And they were willing to get involved. Why? Because their compassion compelled them to do it. They were compelled to do it. Notice what it says here in Mark 1, 40 to 42. A man with leprosy came to Jesus and begged him on his knees, If you are willing, you can make me clean. Filled with compassion... He reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. Immediately the leprosy left him and he was cured. Now how how do you think that man was about talking about Jesus when he left the presence of God? Do you think he was interested in bringing other people to Jesus? 
I'll guarantee you he was. Why? Because God transformed his life. And when God transforms our life from the inside out, I can't help but talk about Jesus and want to bring people to Jesus. Not out of guilt, out of passion to see their lives changed. Third discovery. God wants to use ordinary people to accomplish extraordinary things. Because I can hear some people sitting there, well, I don't have a degree. I don't have a Bible degree. I can't answer their questions. Maybe they're going to ask me something I don't know. Maybe I'm going to really look dumb. And I'm intimidated by that, kind of like the skit guys. (laughs) He was afraid to ask the guy to church. And yet, what do we see in the book of Acts when Jesus, when God established his church, what kind of people did he use? Seminary students? Bible scholars? No. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished, and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. You want to have passion in bringing people to Jesus? You spend time with Jesus. And when you spend time with Jesus, the only thing you want to do is bring other people to Jesus. It it transforms us. It gives us the courage and the boldness that we need. And we all struggle, don't we? Yeah, we all struggle at times to be courageous like we should. But they had an unquenchable faith in believing Jesus could help this man. And notice what it says in verse 4. Since they could not get him to Jesus, because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus, and after digging through it, lowered the mat the paralyzed man was lying on. Now you have to understand, they had those tiled roofs, dried, hard clay, big slabs of it. And then they would put that over all the beams. And then once they got those slabs down, they took wet clay and they put a layer of wet clay all over those tiles to seal it so rain wouldn't get in. They were flat roofs. Because they would go out there sometimes at night when it would get hot, and they would go out there to cool off or to relax. But they tore those things. It says they dug through the roof. They tore it out. That takes some work and some effort, doesn't it? You know what it tells me? There's going to be opposition for us bringing people to Jesus. There will be people opposed to what we do and what we stand for. There will be opposition. There will be difficulty. We have to persevere. We have to work together to do that. And these men were willing to do that because God wanted to use ordinary people to accomplish an extraordinary task. The fourth discovery. God in his grace can forgive the worst sinner. (laughs) You think about this man who was paralyzed. They said he was like a paraplegic. Could have very well been a paraplegic. He had no use of his limbs at all. He had no opportunity to get himself to Jesus. He was totally unable to get himself to Jesus to get help. That's true of many sinners. They can't get themselves to Jesus because they don't know they're lost. They don't know they're blind. They don't know their need. But we can see it. God's given us spiritual sight to bring them to Christ. The worst sinner... You think about someone who's paralyzed like that, who has no opportunity, no possible way he could have found healing unless these four men took
took him to Christ. And we heard some testimonies even this weekend how God uses other people to reach people for Christ. I think about that song that people need the Lord. When, we real, when will we realize people need the Lord? For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. It is so wonderful that these men brought this man to Jesus. Let me give you the fifth one. Working together is essential in bringing people to Jesus. We need to work together to do it. Notice there were four men working together. Usually you get four men together, they're like, who's the supervisor, right? Who's going to be in the front? Who's going to be in the back? Who's going to raise him high? Who's going to bend down? I can see him arguing. No, I want to be on the front right. I want to be on the back left. No, there was no argument. They just grabbed the mat. They took the man to get him to Jesus. That was the goal. They worked together in a heart of unity and passion. Their passion and compassion overweighed any differences. I don't know if any of them had bad breath. I don't know if any of them had bad backs. But they were concerned about getting the man to Jesus. There was flexibility. We are instruments in the hands of the Redeemer, and God wants to use our gifts, abilities, talents, our personalities to reach people with the gospel. And we need to be unified in our effort to do so. Not argue, fight. Being flexible. They knew this man had a need, but he had no idea how to get help. He did not have the resources to get himself to Jesus. Many people are spiritually blind to their need of Christ. They do not know something is missing in their life. You want to see some blind people? Here's what it says in our text. Look down at verse 6. Now some teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, what does this fellow, why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Their spiritual blindness. They had no idea who Jesus was. They missed it. And there he was, God, a very God, right in front of them. And it's true with other people that are lost in our world. God is right in front of them, but they don't know it. And we need to bring them to Christ. They use creativity in bringing people to Jesus. Let me give you a couple practical things for next Sunday for Friend Day, and I hope that you are really seeking the Lord about this, but here's some practical things I think we should do to prepare ourselves as a church. And maybe you're here today as a visitor, and I hope we're doing some of these things. <laughs> Number one, move forward a couple of pews and leave the back pews for visitors. Why? Because they are very uncomfortable, and they want to be as far away from here as possible. And so what do we do? We try to accommodate them and, and, and out of friendliness and, and care and concern, I just move forward a couple pews to give them an opportunity to sit in the back. Secondly, park a few spaces further away from the church than normal. Why? Give them the closer parking space. Why? So they can get into church easier. 
Now, I'm not talking about the older people who have trouble. I'm talking about those of us who have good health and we can walk and it's not going to hurt us. In fact, it'll probably help us. I remember when I was in Virginia on staff there, I had to walk about half a mile. No, it wasn't really. It felt like half a mile to get there. And, and, and it's a good exercise program. But park a few spaces further away than normal, just to think about that. Be warm and friendly. Be warm and friendly. Be hospitable. Introduce yourself. Tell them you're glad that they're here and genuinely mean it in your heart. Sit with people if they're alone. There might be some people who come in or are just visiting. Sit with them if they're alone. The people you have invited already, go back and invite them again. I've invited some people, and I want to go back and invite them again. I want them to genuinely know I want them here. And I would love to have them here, and praying that they will come. Now, will everybody come that we invite? I wish. (laughs) I wish. I doubt it. Uh, But we need to do our part and let God do his part. And maybe if it doesn't happen this time, maybe it'll happen the next time. Pray that God will work in their hearts. That's what we need to pray, that God will work in their hearts. Let's stand for a word of prayer. ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes for a moment. And I want this to be an encouragement to you that we serve a big God. He is willing to forgive people of their sin, but first they need to know they need to be forgiven. We need to pay attention to the people that God has placed around us. We need to remember that God's word has incredible influence in people's lives. And that God wants to be involved in their life. No matter how far from involvement they are with God, God wants to be involved in their life. And that God has inherent power to heal them. To deliver them from their sin. To heal their brokenness. So who has God placed around you? Where you go from day to day? How about showing compassion for people who are hurting Do we take the time to notice? Do we realize that God wants to use ordinary people to accomplish extraordinary things? Ordinary people. And that God in his grace can forgive the worst sinner. Doesn't matter what they've been through, where they are. God can forgive, because of his grace, the worst sinner. And fifthly, working together is essential in bringing people to Jesus. Maybe you're here today and you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. You have a personal relationship with Jesus. We want to invite you to come to know Jesus as your personal Savior. The Bible tells us we are born in sin. And therefore, we're separated from God at birth. But God in His grace... And wisdom sent Jesus to die on the cross. The Bible says that the preaching of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. 
God has power to save and forgive sin because Jesus died on the cross for our sin, our sin that was offensive to God. And if you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, I would invite you to come to know Him. We hope you've enjoyed today's message. If you would like to know more about Bethesda Church, you can check us out on the web by going to our website, which is BethesdaMB.org. That's Bethesda, M as in Mary, B as in boy, dot org. Or check us out on Facebook by searching for Bethesda Church of Huron. Have a blessed day.